Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Before we start, I would like to draw your attention to my weekly email newsletter, Friday Focus. Each Friday, I focus on one topic with one action arising. The link to sign up is in the show notes or head over to amyrolinson.com and sign up right now. Today on Focus on Why, I am joined by Stephen Whitten. Welcome. Thank you, Amy. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Well, you say that, but you don't know what's coming. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've been talking about this for a while, so I've kind of been revving up and looking forward to it. So, um, yeah, I, but I know I'm in safe hands. You are indeed. So <laughs> let's let's kick off with the opening question I ask everybody, which is, what is it you're doing at the moment? Um, the main focus for me is that a couple of years ago, on the back of some issues and struggles that I had, I developed uh, a movement. It's a business, but I've called it a movement because it's a social enterprise. So it's kind of somewhere towards a charity um, that really looks at mental health in masculine environments. And that originally started with aiming that really at the sort of men that are working in masculine environments, um, but has now become much more than that in terms of looking at diversity and inclusion and the whole mental health and well-being across what are traditionally, you know, very masculine places to work. So, so that's the focus for me. Um, and I think, as you know, I'm, I'm out there as a speaker, spreading the word, getting the message out there and, uh, you know, encouraging people to look again at how businesses operate from a sort of feminine and masculine energy point of view. And has that evolved? I mean, you mentioned that you started out just thinking that you was going to go into these masculine environments, but now, as you're saying, it's more, it's a bigger piece. Is that because you recognized the need or the, what was, what was the driver behind expanding your vision? I think it was an evolution. I think originally uh, it was very much, you know, based on my own thing, my, my original sort of reach out was, I knew I couldn't be the only guy of a certain age that's grown up in a very male dominated environment. I was in the automotive industry. And when I did reach out through social media and so on, and I got a lot of people coming back saying, wow, this really resonates. This clearly you've you've hit a nerve here. It was post or sort of mid mid pandemic, I suppose, back end of 2020. You know, yeah, that was originally meant to be uh, a movement that was about getting guys in particular talking about their mental health. We did initially get some pushback from people saying, well, that's not very inclusive because you're excluding women and there's women that work in the industry as well. So, and with the research that we were doing about, you know, what are some of the factors around sort of, you know, mental health for everyone in our industry, the the first initial evolution was, well, no, actually it is totally about women as well because, you know, if we address some of the, I don't want to say toxic masculinity because that's an overused phrase for me and I, I, that's not where we're, what we're about. But some of that sort of stuff that's traditionally come from the way men have behaved or the way men think, the way men interact with each other has actually then had a knock-on effect in causing that industry to not be the most attractive employer of choice for women. 
So that was this first evolution. And then that just developed and developed and developed to, you know, sort of where we are now, where we're, we're properly now talking about DEI uh, or diversity, equity and inclusion. And, and my mantra on that is if we want to properly get to a place where we're inclusive in masculine environments, a key part of the jigsaw is men's mental health. So I hope that answers the question. But it's kind of come back round in a circle. Yeah. And what was the initial catalyst for the entire movement? Um, it was me. It was me. My my issues. I I've yeah. You know, I'm going to be totally brutal and blunt about it. Um, I knew as a teenager that my sexuality was curious, or I was curious about it. But it was the early eighties. Um, I didn't know how to navigate that world and I'd because of the environment that I was in work and home and people around me and just the, the culture and the way things were at that time and obviously then the AIDS epidemic I'd, I'd convinced myself there was something wrong with me I'd convinced myself that it was I wasn't right um, and so I got married and had children and did all the stuff that you know I guess society expects you to do um, and it was when the lid fell off of all of that, that, you know, I'd, I'd developed into being a person that actually on reflection probably wasn't that pleasant to be around because not only was I carrying a, a secret, but I was also working in an environment that was putting more and more pressure on me um, to work to deadlines and targets and earning money and keeping up appearances and all of that, put all of that together. And, and then, yeah, at the beginning of 2020, with the pandemic, with the breakup of my marriage, the the whole uh, the whole lid fell off the the entire pot, and it all just poured out all over the place. So, so that was the catalyst for it. Um, I spent the summer of 2020 walking a lot, speaking to a lot of friends, and reaching out to a lot of people. And that's, as I say, where people started coming back, going, you know, you've you've probably got a bit of a gift here to to help other people who are in a similar position. Do you see it as a gift, Stephen? I, I think so. It's very much linked to my purpose. And, you know, what whatever is is driving us individually, you know, whether that's whatever your spiritual beliefs are in that respect, um, there is something that's definitely guiding me. And I know that that when I properly focus on it and, and give time to it, it pays me back. Um, if... And because I'm still on a journey with mental health myself, if I have days where I sort of drift off, then I notice, you know, things drift off as well. So, so yeah, I do think it's a gift. I think I've got the gift of being able to speak in public and hopefully inspire and, and to some extent entertain people. Um, but I also think that having lifted the lid and exposed everything, that that in itself is a bit of a gift as well for those who are, you know, questioning anything or struggling with life themselves. And what have been the challenges in the lifting of the lid for you? Oh, wow. What'd you say? We've got 40 minutes. <laughs> um, uh, the biggest challenges, the biggest challenges right at the beginning was obviously the breakup of my marriage, the separation from my wife, who, you know, I still love and adore and wish that none of that had happened um the the then most horrendous divorce um that was just emotionally heartbreaking it became a, a war of attrition um and then on the back end of that 
you know, other family members, close family members making the decision, you know, to sort of go one way or the other, um, you know, in, including my own son, which, you know, it's, that breaks my heart, really. And, you know, I live with that sort of every day. So, um, yeah, there was many, many challenges and many, many points at, at which I was, you know, I was almost, it almost felt like I was dipping my toe into the whole mental health thing by, um going out there and and just sort of talking about mental health talking about issues without really being authentic about what was going on for me because i didn't feel that i could i felt i felt that the challenges in itself were almost restricting me and and making me you know feeling like all oh, stuff's going to be used against me so to speak um but yeah so so looking back on that i i yeah i i've totally totally now got a massive amount of empathy with anyone who's going through something similar and that shift of welcoming the authentic Stephen how has that changed for you um <laughs> well you've seen me present and the story is not an easy one um and it's clearly resonates but the shift is in the you know, I don't want to do sort of any any harm or disservice to, you know, to people in close to me that have been massively affected by this. But in order to be um, more me, more authentic, you know, I've I've got to broach some of these really tough, difficult subjects. Um, you know, and the way I talk about it is that if I was if I'd had an addiction to drugs or drink, um, or gambling, you know, there would have been all sorts of help and support come in my way. But because my addiction was something else, you know, it was very much a, oh, that's disgusting. We don't want to be around you. You know, you must be some sort of freak. Um, and that wasn't the case because I now look at that and I go, no, my addiction was validation. My addiction was needing to be validated because I didn't believe in myself. I didn't love myself. I didn't believe in who I was. And so that's that's the biggest change that now the authentic Steve that everyone sees is the person that's not doing it for the purposes of validation anymore. I'm doing it for the purposes of actually let me share what I can share with you. And if that inspires you to make changes, do things differently for your life, then then all the better. So the Steve that everyone sees, is it the same lens that you see yourself in as well? It is now. It is now. Yeah. I mean, it was, that's been what, I mean, I've been in my, in the workplace 34, 35 years, something like that. Yeah. I started when I was 10. <laughs> now, hang on, it must be longer than that. I'm 50, 56. So however long that is, that's probably covered up 40 years, isn't it? That's scary, isn't it? Uh, um, yeah. That's how long I've been in the workplace and and it's only really been the last two years that I've been able to be honest with myself. Um, and I think, you know, even as a, as a speaker, as a trainer, a consultant, facilitate, whatever, you know, I've found I, I was, you know, been inspiring people hopefully for many years, but never from a perspective of, look, this is the true unapologetic version of me that you're absolutely getting. They were always getting something with a, with a veneer or a bit of a gloss put over it. The paper, the cracks papered very much over. And you said you hit a nerve and it was mid-pandemic. What have people reached out to share with you? Uh, the, the list is 
endless. I mean, predominantly, again, because I focused on the automotive sector, which is a, an industry that I know, um, I was getting top leaders reaching out to me saying, wow, this resonates because, you know, I don't know how I've got here. I've got massive imposter syndrome. I was getting other predominantly guys that were reaching out to me, to be fair, but not just guys, I had some ladies as well. Um, I had guys who were coming to me saying that they've got massive issues in their relationships. Um, they and and you know, the stress of working in an environment that expects you to work long hours for not great pay on a commission basis, you know, the uncertainty, the insecurity, you know, put all of that together and you know, when times are good, us salespeople have got a great way of going out and, you know, success breeding success. So we go out and buy all the nice things. And of course, then when times hit hit hard times, you know, you've still got to pay for all those nice things that you've still got. <laughs> and that puts pressure on as well. So I was getting people, you know, reaching out to me in that respect. I'd be, again, brutally frank about it. Lots of people reaching out saying that they, you know, they'd had affairs with colleagues at work, you know, because they sought comfort with each other. And now it was affecting their relationship at home. And what can I do? And, you know, other people who were going through divorces and so on. Um, and then some of my ambassadors who are ladies, um, one or two in particular, were also coming to me and saying, look, I've just been diagnosed with ADHD or with bipolar, and there's no way in the world can I speak to my boss about that. I can't go back into the environment and say, look, you know, the reason that I'm happy one day and not so great the next is because I now know I've, I'm suffering or dealing with this. Um, and it's caused problems with their bosses and, and so on. So, uh, you know, just a whole myriad of people reaching out to me. And you mentioned about success breeding success. It strikes me, obviously, having worked in the automotive industry, you've got a product, you've got a, a nice product that you're selling, and you said you're in, you've been in sales. Does it matter to you these things anymore? <laughs> oh, wow, that's a great question. The answer to that is a resounding, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Having said that, um, I've actually made the decision that I, I four years ago, I treated myself to a car that, that I'd always wanted for 20 years in, in the in the car industry. I've driven and, and owned and had pretty much every car that's ever existed. <clears throat> and I decided that I wanted this particular car. And the opportunity came up and I went and treated myself to it. I've still got it. And it's sitting on the driveway now, really costing me a load of money and not going anywhere for three, four days a week. So I've made the decision that at the end of January 23, I will be giving it back. Um, and I'm actually looking forward to cutting my cloth according to what's going on in the world right now and buying myself a little old banger to run around in and either going everywhere by train or hiring a car if I need one. And I, and funny, I was having a call with somebody yes, just yesterday who was quizzing me about that. And they actually said, oh, wow, that's inspired me that you've made that decision. And I went, really? Wow. Okay. Well, that's inspired me even more to think that even that in itself, you know, get away from the the shackles of the sort of 80s yuppie type of you can have anything you want when you work for it. Go and get the big car, the big house, the Rolex and, 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 and yeah. So the answer to your question is no, it doesn't bother me in the slightest anymore. So where is your purpose driven focus? What is it that you really want to see in the, in this world? 
my purpose I've established now through a, a real sort of uh, simple, easy process that that I've started to share with other people. My purpose is nothing more well, is, is as simple as helping people to have happy lives again. Uh, and that's it because, you know, the reality for me is what I'm doing is speaking up for mental health. I'm speaking up for inclusion. I was told that my superpower is I'm an ordinary guy because I look and sound and act like just anyone who could work in a car dealership. <laughs> and so my ordinary guy superpower is is driving the fact that I can speak up for these things, talk about being open and honest, and hopefully inspire other people to do the same so that they can get back to having some kind of um, happier life that enables them to perform better. Very conscious that there are millions of people out there or for whatever reason can't speak up or won't speak up. And I'm curious to understand, because you said helping people to have happy lives again and inspire others to get back the life and perform better. Do you think that they were happy before and they're now not? Or is it a case of, the way that you phrase it is sort of an extension of what you're trying to achieve. I, I think it's a yeah. I think there's an element of that. I'm probably still, you know, I'm 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 hope I hope that what I'm doing doesn't come across that I'm still therapizing myself. But I think you know I, I take the view that no one's born unhappy, right? People, there might be some physical things that that you know, afflict people at from birth, but no one's born unhappy. And at some point in your life, in my case, I tracked it back to when I was about six, there are things that start to happen, little triggers that start to happen, the way we're communicated with, the way we're educated, the way we're encouraged to behave, not behave. You know, there's a myriad of things that um, affect us from childhood onwards. And I think gradually over time, the the many, many people that I'm talking about do get to a point where they are adults that feel that they're not as happy or fulfilled as they could be. Uh, and so that, that's where I want to get to. Um, obviously, if if you are an adult and you are happy and you're fulfilled and you're like, no, nothing happened to me as a child and I'm perfectly comfortable and happy with my life and where everything's gone, then you know, fair play, come and talk to me because I want to know what your recipe is because the, the vast majority of us from experience and from speaking to a lot of people um, don't have the benefit of that. I would probably challenge the word comfortable because from from my perspective, if you're comfortable, then you're static. You're not growing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, no, I agree. But I do... I'm just, I suppose I'm leaving a little bit of wiggle room, if you like, for those that do come back and go, no, actually, I'm perfectly happy with with my lot and with my life and the way things have gone and the way things are going and you know, the amount of money that I've got in the bank and what I do and what I'm serving and how I'm living my life, you know, just, just in case there are some people out there who, who would go, yeah, and I, I don't need to listen to this guy because actually I'm perfectly happy with all of that. But I agree with you from experience and even some of the groups that you and I interact in together, you know, I can read from a mile away now that there are people that are not like that. <laughs> and that's that's what I want to do is to speak up for those issues and go, look, come on. We um, 
you know, we can support each other and stand shoulder to shoulder and, you know, you can speak up for this stuff. So now do you feel that you can navigate the world and that there isn't something wrong with you? Oh, I, yeah, oh 100%. 100%. Do you know what? I'm, I'm going to share the, the content of a TikTok video I did over the weekend. I did two, actually, because on Friday, out of the blue, I got a phone call from some friends of mine. We've been friends for a long time. Um, they've been very supportive, or she has out of the two of them, very supportive through my issues. But for whatever reason, she decided to ring me and say that their devout religious beliefs do not sit comfortably with where I'm at now and the fact that I am so honest about uh, who I am and what I am and the lifestyle that that created for me and so on. And I immediately came off that call and and made a TikTok video pretty much saying, do you know what? This is amazing because what that's given me is a gift. You know, two years ago, I'd have been mortified and thinking, wow, someone else is rejecting me and not accepting me for who I am. Um, And so I did a a quick follow-up video on it yesterday and said exactly that. And um, somebody that we, you and I both know, put a LinkedIn post on yesterday with with a statement, a Tony Robbins statement that said, you know, heal the boy and the man will show up. And, you know, that's just honestly makes me, I had a real cold shiver just then when I said that, because that is so true. You know, it was the the little boy in me that was, that was broken, that was hurt, that was, that was unhappy and didn't accept himself. And that's, that's not true anymore. How does that feel, Steve? Oh, it's, <laughs> sound like my therapist there, Naomi. No, that's, <laughs> It feels great. I mean, I'm still, you know, very remorseful and very, uh, you know, very much regretting the way that the previous life that I had ended and the way that that's, you know, playing out at the moment. Um, And I hate that. You know, I've got to be honest. You know, I've got a grandson that I don't see. Um, You know, and that breaks my heart. I've got his picture on my phone as my wallpaper, you know, because that's my only way I get interaction. Um, so yeah, that side of it feels terrible, you know, and that's, but the other side of it is that, well, you know, I've, I've got to, I've got to be me. I can't sit in a corner and, and, you know, cry myself to death. I've got to be me. I've got to be honest about who I am. And what I'm getting now is constant reminders daily from people sending me messages or reaching out to me, commenting on LinkedIn posts and so on you know, and saying things like, wow, you know, what you're doing is spreading ripples far and wide. And so, it, yeah, it feels it feels now that I've properly, properly found my purpose and my direction. Love that. It, it really is music to my ears that you have because it's been, it sounds like it's been quite a, a tricky and difficult journey. And, and yet the drive has come from as you said, an authentic place and that you are now motivated by your actions and people reaching out and validating what you're doing. You don't need it. You don't need their validation, but what you're getting is this incredible, it's not permission. I'm trying to think of what the word is, but endorsement of that you're on the right track and that you, you know, what you're doing is helping other people, as you say, to have happy lives again but but more than that you know it's it's 
it's what it is for you, which is to be you for the first time and, and potentially for others, it's to finally be who they're meant to be also. Yeah. Yeah. And and actually even my friends who who have kind of unfriended me after a long time because their beliefs don't sit well with what what I'm about, you know, even that in a way is an endorsement that it's an endorsement that I've not spent the weekend fretting about it and worrying about it, that I've actually gone, do you know what? This is going to make me stronger. This is going to make me take my organization and have a, have a, a float at pride in London next year. Oh, because can I come? Please. please can I come? Oh, <laughs> you, but that'll be you, you, <laughs> are we allowed to mention a few others? Yeah, go on, do it. <laughs> Joe Lightfoot, Darren, yeah, I'm sure uh, Vico Farrell will be there Vico too. Vico Farrell, Dave Henson. Yeah. Who else can we think of that's going to be up for that? Julie Creffield. Oh, Julie, definitely. Yeah, Jackie Handy. Yeah. Oh yeah. my goodness, this, I'm so Lockwood. excited. Yeah, All these have... people have been on the podcast, so that that's incredible. <laughs> so we'll have a kind of men able stroke PSA. Oh yeah. London Pride. Um. Well, I don't know if it's a float, is it? You can just take part, can't you? I don't know how you do it. I'm yeah. going to look at it up when I, when we finish. <laughs> if you want some inspiration, there's a, a great episode in, have you ever watched Sense8? It's a series on Netflix and they go to the most incredible pride. And it's, it's in a, a South American city. I can't remember which one. I, I want to say Brazil, but I'm not sure if it is. But it, it was it was just incredible the the vibe. And yes, I, I have been to to London Pride, and it, it can get bigger. There's potential. So, <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about the the ripples that you're spreading far and wide. The the fact that some people are meant to to stay in your life. Some people are meant to not always be in your life. They may come and they may go. Who is it that you would like to come into your life right now? And who would you like to take with you on this journey? Oh, wow. Um, you know, that's funny because today I've put a, a post on LinkedIn asking for people to get more involved in Menable in 23. Um, and I've, I've just off the top of my head come up with a little bit of a strap line, which is um, uh, get back to me in 23. and you know, that will play itself out as we go into the next year. But I'll put a bit of a call to action to say, look, if you're an employer in a masculine environment, then join the movement. You know, we, we want your money, but we want your commitment. We want you to come on board and say, yeah, you're doing some great stuff. Let's spread this message amongst our team. And if you're in a team, if you're an individual, then join the movement as an ambassador or as an advocate. And not just so that you can also walk down park lane in your in your hot pants next year at london pride <laughs> it's more than that but also so you can spread the word and and just you know spread this shoulder to shoulder ethos that we talk about and those are the people that i want to come with me on this journey and to create men able as a legacy not not steve witten as a legacy but men able as the the thing that gets woven into the fabric of these businesses so that's that's where I want to go with that. And I think it, what it will do is bring the right people into my life as well at some point. I'm happily single, but if anyone listening wants to help that change. <laughs> that oh, my show's, yeah, I was going to say my show's taken a whole different It's taken a different turn. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. So let's go back to the, the DE&I message earlier. 
the diversity, equity and inclusion and how it has evolved from men's mental health into a bigger piece and has wrapped into the DNI space. Where would you like men able to sit amongst that? As well, I'm, what I'm very conscious of is, like I've said, is that through the evolution of this, I've made it clear that I think if you want to achieve DEI, you've got to address men's mental health. I want men able woven into the fabric of the automotive industry at the very least, if not other masculine environments. And as an ethos, you know, as a almost like a sort of, dare I say, a kind of trip advisor or a, you know, that kind of uh, approach into into the industry. And what I do genuinely believe is that there is a lot of, there are a lot of people, if I was to hazard a guess from the kind of 35 years up and older, so 35 and up, who have come from a generation where we've not traditionally talked about that stuff, about mental health and wellness and emotions and feelings, or are on the back end of a generation that haven't talked about it. And I think the lack of talking about this is the stuff that creates insecurity, uncertainty, and actually promotes the opposite of an inclusive environment. And I'll give you an example of what I mean. We have something, there's a whole report that the, I'm, I'm, I'm actually on the task force, but the automotive industry's professional body uh, wrote uh, late, early this year around diversity and inclusion. And one of the key things in there was this stuff called homophily or this thing called homophily, which is basically recruiting in our own likeness. Now, when I look at what we've got, you put the ingredients for me for that together, which is a masculine environment. It's male dominated. 45% of the car industry look like me, right? That's not being derogatory, but I could walk into a car dealership and look like I work there. Put all of those things together and homophily recruiting in our own likeness means that with the pressure that we're under, the targets and the objectives that we have to achieve, I as a leader haven't traditionally had time to take on board somebody who doesn't look, sound and act like me because they've got the similar experience that I've got. Because the people that we're aiming to attract from more diverse areas um, haven't been working in the environment that we that I've been that I'm talking about. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I think addressing what I would put under the umbrella of men's mental health by having them go, do you know what? Be a bit more curious, be a bit more accepting, be a bit more understanding, empathic, compassionate, all that stuff that you've not traditionally been encouraged to be because you're a bloke and you've been told not to cry and to grow a pair and to man up and all that stuff. So forget all of that. Because just because somebody says to you at an interview that, you know, that they're gay and they're marrying their same sex partner a fortnight later, that's not a cause for banter and jokes. And, you know, you thinking, oh, hang on, I can't have them come and work here because they'll get the mickey taken out of them or, or whatever. Um, just just be OK with all of that. Does that make some sense? I think is that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, the whole thing about recruitment is that you do attract. You're attracted to people who are like you, mm. and and you can't help that because it is a bias that you have. It's a natural rapport that you gain. So it's not just the 
recruitment questions it's the whole process that needs to be thought through from from start to finish and it used to be something I used to work in back 20 years ago it was an industry I worked in I don't anymore but I'm I'm very conscious of of that environment when you're in a networking event you will you will gravitate towards people who you you are like but from my perspective as a podcaster and also as a, a coach I actually like to be challenged by people who don't think like me don't 100%. look like me and that's yeah. what's so great about diversity and connectedness yeah yeah 100% and, and so that's why I threw in the bit about the the pressures and the challenges the culture and the working practice of businesses some of the automotive businesses that, I'm, that I know about you know they they create pressures that means that a leader hasn't got the time to you know what I call is take a risk you know can I take a risk on this person who's never worked in the industry you know be, because they've come across as the most you know, the most viable candidate to me, but they've got no experience. They're going to want training. They're going to need time to get up to speed, you know, but they've come from a, a much more diverse area, but they've not been in the industry. So what we end up with is this revolving door where people who all look, sound and act the same, just go from one business to the next. And hence we get homophily. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, not brilliant. That's the that's the point. <laughs> well, no, I mean that exactly exactly right. And I mean the well, the brilliant bit is that for me and you, we're never going to be unemployed. <laughs> Although I think we might be unemployable. Uh yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because Wonder we like the freedom. <laughs> well, we love the freedom, we love the flexibility, and we are just naturally more entrepreneurial now in our ways. And I think that once you get a taste of that, it's hard to go back into employment. Although one of our dear friends has done just that. So who knows? It just depends if it's the right yeah. thing at the right time. And we're not afraid to go into a business and go, why is it why are you doing things like that? You know, and yeah. again, if you come up against an insecure, uncertain, low confidence leader, they ain't going to take too kindly to being questioned just mm. in the same way as I didn't five years ago. Well, what a journey you've been on, Steve. I mean, really. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. It's, it's... Who, who would know? I mean, who, I mean, maybe that teenager, maybe that six-year-old you mentioned earlier knew and it's been kept quiet all these years, but finally, you know, 50 years later, it's come out. Yeah. And as I say, it's, it's not comfortable and, you know, you've heard the talk and the story around it and it could have, I could very easily have not been here to tell the story. And, you know, I, I live every day with the pain of what it did to the people that were closest to me that I loved dearly still um and the way that they reacted and I live with that I go to bed thinking about it get up thinking about it but to me and I don't mean this in a selfish way that's better that I live with that pain than they live with the pain of me having done something drastic that then leaves them with a question mark for the rest of their lives you know why the hell did dad do that and hopefully yeah. one day I'll get the opportunity to have that conversation with them yeah, that would be incredible. And I agree with you. You know, the pain that you hold is is a pain that you can bear as mm -hmm. opposed to, uh, you know, the other pain that others would have to take on. So with that, Steve, how could people follow you? How could they go on and look at your TikTok videos? Where where do they need to go? <laughs> well, <if laughs> 
the TikTok videos, I'll come, I'll come to that in a minute because you don't need, you, you don't want to have a faint heart if you're watching my TikTok videos. That's all I would say. Some of them are actually taken down, but anyway, on on LinkedIn, I'm on, I'm on there as Stephen J Witten. That's Stephen with a PH, uh, J Witten, W H I T T O N. So you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter at, at Stephen Witten, and yeah, as you mentioned, TikTok. If you just look for the in capital letters, the bisexual granddad, then you should find me. And as you know, I always say to people when you meet me, I know you'd never believe I was really a granddad, would you? <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. Well, all the links are in the show notes so people can find them there. So if they didn't catch it, they can they can check it out later. So Steve, thank you for being so honest and sharing your difficult but incredible journey that is really going to be as you as you described it right from the beginning it's going to be an incredible movement that you people will be swept along with and for good reasons and you know those ripples across the world are getting bigger and with with that who knows what's going to happen as a result you know we could be going across the world on that float of that pride float all over the place with your incredible manable message so i like the way you said we there amy i get you i'd yes. like what you did there <laughs> ambassador ambassador on board for sure so <laughs> so yeah steve thank you so much for sharing it on focus on why have you got some final words for the audience please i would just say thank you to you as well and you know you're an absolute star and i love what you're what you're doing with this and to give me the opportunity uh, along with some of the you know fabulous people that you've had on this before is just immense but yeah i mean what i would say to people is be open be honest be curious be genuinely curious about the world and the people in it and just look deep in, inside yourself. And there's nothing in there that isn't healable. If you're struggling, if you've got issues, you've got challenges, you know, everything will come right. And a key part of that is talk to other people, stand shoulder to shoulder, support people. And between us, we're, we we can all get through this. So heal the boy and the man will show up. How has this conversation had an impact on you? What value have you received from tuning in? What are your reflections with actions? Please take a moment to leave me an Apple podcast or Spotify review sharing how Focus on Why has made a difference to you today. Remember, the conversation doesn't end here. To keep it going, simply connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook or Twitter or join the Focus on Why Facebook group. All the links are in the show notes. Have a purpose, have a plan, Focus on Why.